You are listening to a sermon by Tanner Sherlock. Visit chialphashatternstate.com for more info. So last week I talked a little bit about um, needing to be very careful when you are inserting your feelings into the equation. Uh, from what I've understood, there's been some people that have took it to the extreme saying that you can't ever trust any of your feelings. And I want to encourage you to take my sermons the exact same way you would interpret scripture. Don't try to read too much into it and add where there's not things and go to an extreme because you'll wind up uh, hurt. Do what? Exactly. So I want to encourage you in this, in this atmosphere in Chi Alpha as a whole, I do, we do truly believe that God does talk to us. He really is there. He really does affect our lives, and we can hear from him. And so your feelings are going to be in the equation somewhere. And so I just want to tell you, don't take it to the extreme that every time you get a feeling or anything that it is absolutely evil and horrible. Stop it. I didn't say that, so quit. Continuing, as I said, last week um, we talked about how our, we need to view our feelings through the lens of God. I want to repeat that, view our feelings through the lens of God, not the way, other way around. We don't need to view our God through our lens of feeling. Basically what that means is every time you feel something, you want to make sure that it lines up with Scripture. If what you're feeling or what you feel like you've heard from God doesn't line up with Scripture, like if you feel like God wants you to go punch somebody in the face for no reason, I guarantee that feeling is not appropriate. So we need to view our feelings through the lens of God and through Scripture. This week, I want to kind of take it a step further. One thing you're going to hear in this, in this ministry a lot is the words, I feel God. That might be like, I feel like God is saying to me this, or I feel like God wants me to do this, or I feel like God is guiding me to this place. You're probably going to hear that a lot in here. And the reason why is because I really do believe that we can hear from God, we can hear from the Holy Spirit. And so tonight I want to encourage you guys to be active in listening and seeking out the Holy Spirit in guiding your life. Eventually our walk with Christ comes to a crossroads when we haven't fully submitted our will over to God. Eventually you'll come to a crossroads, and in that crossroads, you'll either get to a point where you're so frustrated that you either get mad at God, get mad at yourself, think you're not worthy. You'll come to this crossroads, and the reason you're coming to this crossroads is because you've been relying on yourself, and you've been living your life the way you want to live it, And eventually there comes to a point where God's will for your life and your will for your life become so far apart that life begins to get frustrating for you. And in turn, you can then submit to God or completely turn away from God. You can either submit to his will or you can submit to your own will. But I can tell you one thing. If you want to submit to your own will and just keep on trudging, In the end, it will not end well for you. In Isaiah 9, the people of, or the Jewish people, had basically just had their country completely ransacked. Just to kind of give you a background, 
Their country had been absolutely, utterly destroyed, even to the point where their trees had been burned down and cut down. And the Jewish people's response was this. The bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with dressed stone. The fig trees have felled, but we will replace them with cedars. Basically what the Jewish people were saying was, hey God, we don't need your will in our lives. We don't need you. We're going to completely rebuild our country on our own. We don't need you. And when we continue in Isaiah, we quickly learn that that response isn't the response that God was seeking out of the Jews. He was seeking for them to to realign their life with him and with his will and submit themselves over to him and repent of their sins. But instead they said, hey, we got this. We're God's people. We're we're blessed. We're, We're highly favored. We can do this on our own. And if you continue reading in Isaiah, you realize that the nation or the the Jews eventually are ransacked again by the Assyrians and enslaved. And so tonight, what I'm telling you is if you're not submitting your life and your will over to God's will, I'm not saying that you're going to be enslaved by the Assyrians, which is modern day Turkey and Iraq. I'm not saying you're going to be enslaved by the Assyrians. But I am saying that you will be enslaved. You will be enslaved by your own pride. Your pride will be your captor. And your pride will rule your life. So in order to get out of our own pride, to get out from the burden that is our own pride, we've got to realize that there is a better path for our life. And we've got to begin submitting to that path. And I want to warn you that when you make the commitment to give your life over to Christ and say, hey, God, your will over my life. I want to know what your will is over my life. I want to align myself to your will. It's not always easy. Sometimes it can hurt. Sometimes God asks you to cut things out of your life that you necessarily don't want to cut out of your life. Sometimes he wants you to go do something that you necessarily don't want to do. So I'm not promising for even a moment it's going to be easy. But I am saying in the end, it will be worth it. So how many of you guys are like me and you absolutely hate driving at night? Like, I despise driving at night. The other night, on like last Wednesday, my, my wife and I, Courtney, were driving to Alliance to pick up the Holy Spirit DVD. Thursday nights at the well, at the refuge, across from Anderson's. Anyway, we were driving to Alliance to pick up the Holy Spirit DVDs, and... Uh, it was just, I mean, it was black. It was pitch black out. I mean, it was so dark. And it, you know like when you're driving in fog and like you can only see just a real short ways out of your car before the, the light is just broken up and you can no longer see any further because of the water particles in the air to make it all scientific. But you know that feeling where you just can't see like anything and it almost makes you feel a little claustrophobic. Well, it's like that except for there was no fog. It was just so dark out that we had our bright lights on, and it seemed like even the lights couldn't penetrate the darkness. Like, we could only see a limited way in front of our car. You couldn't couldn't even see where the sky met the ground and the horizon. Like, it was was black out. And it was kind of scary, but when you have your lights on, and you're driving, and you're going the speed limit, Sometimes it can feel claustrophobic. It can feel dangerous. 
But we had to drive from Shatteron to Alliance, which is like 51 miles or something like that. We had to take the entire trip with just 100 feet at a time. Literally, all we could see is 100 feet at any given moment. So the entire trip from Shatteron to Alliance was taken 100 feet at a time. Our walk with Christ can sometimes be like that. We don't necessarily see anything beyond just what's right in front of us. We know the trip is going to be long, but we can just see just far enough in front of us. And as you begin to learn how to drive at night, as you begin to learn how to drive in those kind of circumstances, it becomes easier to trust your instincts, trust, trust the road, trust what you see. Uh, it becomes easier to look out for animals. Walking with God's kind of the same way. The, the more you walk with God, the better you hear his voice. The more you walk with God, the easier it becomes to align your will with his. Now, why on earth would God make us run a marathon and only tell us the way one step at a time? One step at a time. Have you ever asked someone for directions and it kind of goes like this? Okay. You'll walk out these doors, head east. You'll come to a pillar in the middle, turn south. You'll go to the parking lot. You want to get in your car. You want to head west until you come to a stop sign. Then you want to turn north at the stop sign. You'll continue for about three-quarters of a mile until you come to a stoplight. Turn west and go about 100 feet or so, and your destination will be on the right. Yes, if you followed along, I gave you directions to the well. Thursday nights, 8.30 at the refuge. Man, that can be confusing. That can get confusing very quickly. Now, you might be telling me, no, no, no. It's better for me to know the whole path ahead of time. Lies. The reason I know this is because GPS gives you one turn at a time. If GPS gave you all of the directions all at once, every single one of us would get lost before we even pulled out of the parking lot. If you have your Bibles, turn to Jeremiah 29. Verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I have sent you into exile. Now, to give you a background of what's going on here, just so you're not taking verses 11 through 13 and taking it out of context. What's happening here is uh, Jeremiah is speaking to the people of Judah, the Jews. And basically what happened is they were all pretty much pretty similar to what happened in Isaiah. They were becoming full of sin and adultery and God's judgment was upon them, but even in their judgment, even during the circumstances that came about from their own sin, what God is saying is, I still have a plan for you. I still have a reason for your existence even. I plan to help you out. I plan to give you success. See, the people of Judah had grown so far away from God and his teachings that it got to the point where God sends Jeremiah and he's trying to get them to repent. But at the same time, what they ended up doing 
and this might sound familiar to you, what they started doing was they started surrounding themselves, the people of Judah started surrounding themselves with false prophets who basically just told them, hey, you're doing everything right. Everything in life is happy, hunky-dory. You guys are awesome. We're God's people. We're living high and mighty. That's the rough Pastor Tanner translation. The thing about Isaiah and Jeremiah is even though it was a short time apart, even though a lot of time hadn't really passed between Isaiah and Jeremiah, the Jews still, even after judgment had came upon them and after they could see what happens when they stopped serving God, they still continued to do it. They still continued to live after themselves, knowing they were God's chosen people. They continued to live for themselves and live in sin and adultery and refused to listen to the prophets that God was sending. But even within all this doom and gloom in the Old Testament, I'm a huge fan of the Old Testament. Even within all this doom and gloom, there's one story in the Old Testament which is the exact opposite of Isaiah. I really feel like it is the polar opposite of Isaiah. Basically what happens in Isaiah is right off the bat, God says, hey, I need someone to send to my people to tell them to repent of their sins. And Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. In this other book of the Bible, God says to a, to a young man, I need you to go to the city of Nineveh and teach them and tell them to repent. And the prophet that, he, that God is speaking to basically says, nope, no thank you, I'm going to go in the exact opposite direction. Then in Isaiah, Isaiah goes to the Jews and he teaches them repentance continuously. And the people put a, a deaf ear up to him and basically say, uh, no dice, bro. We're good. In the other story, the prophet continues to flee. He flees so long that in short, there's a mutiny on his hands. He gets tossed from a ship and gets eaten by a fish. In Isaiah, he continues to preach repentance to the Jews, and they continue to ignore him. As many of you have guessed by now, the other story and the other prophet is Jonah. Jonah then finally agrees reluctantly to go to the city of Nineveh, and he preaches repentance, and the entire city repents. And I mean the entire city repents. In Isaiah, the Jewish kingdom is destroyed, and Jonah, Nineveh is saved. So you might be saying, how is any of this relevant to what you're talking about? It's a good question. So we can begin to draw a parallel within these stories of our own lives and God's will. We can compare ourselves to either both, or either or both, the prophets or the cities that they're being preached at, or the cities that they're preaching at. If we draw our lives in comparison to the people, what we see here is people who have not aligned their will with God's. God comes in and says, hey guys, You need to align your will with mine or there will be destruction. And when God corrects us, we can either choose to accept his correcting 
and line ourselves up with his will, or we can reject his correcting and continue to go down our own path in pride. If we want to compare ourselves to the prophets, we can draw a comparison that we can either be willing and submit to God's will, when he asks us to do something, be willing and ready no matter what the consequences are, even if nobody on earth listens to you. In Jeremiah, nobody listened to Jeremiah. It even sent him into depression because nobody would listen to him. And so you can either listen to God and go willingly no matter what the outcome, or you can choose to go the opposite direction and go in your own path, go with your own will, go with your own pride, no matter what happens. And then the road gets a little bit bumpy after that. So this is a point in the sermon where I want to warn you. If you're going to give your life to Christ, fully commit. You'll want to fully commit. Don't just view Christ as a get-out-of-jail-free card that you can just call on upon whenever you need him. Because as such, basically what you're saying is, I know more about my life and I know better for my life than you know, God. And I'm going to accept your sacrifice, but I'm going to refuse any of your teachings. And I'm going to refuse to actually grow in a relationship with you, but I'm willing to accept your sacrifice. And so I want to warn you, if you're going to to commit to Christ, you'll want to fully commit to him. And that includes his will. And so I'm going to finish with this. I can remember when I was in high school, I was a wrestler in high school. And uh, my junior year, at the very end of the season, I was starting to get pretty good. And with getting pretty good at this time, I want to point out I was not a Christian yet, so don't judge me. Well, you can judge me all you want. I don't really care. But I was getting a little bit cocky with my wrestling, and there was always this one kid who I had to face at almost every single solitary tournament. He was a freshman from Bridgeport, and he was terrible at wrestling. And so since I got seated opposite him almost every single tournament, it kind of grew into this warm-up. Basically, what I would do is I would come up to him and I would use him as a dummy to practice some of the moves that I wasn't necessarily sure of, whether I wanted to use them in a match yet. And I would practice them on him and get him down to a point where I could actually use them in real matches. And eventually, I would get to the point where about halfway through the third period, I would finally just give up and go ahead and pin him so that I could get the points for it. See, I was a jerk. And so... Come the the final tournament of the year, uh, it was a dual tournament. And the difference between a regular tournament and dual tournament, in case you don't know, is a dual tournament, your entire team is against their entire team. And so every single player or every single wrestler on your team matches up against their wrestlers. In a regular tournament, you just basically wrestle until you either lose out or until you win the tournament. And it doesn't there's no necessarily pattern. It's based on skill and record and who you've beaten this season. Well, this last tournament was a dual tournament, and so I knew I needed to go, but the problem was I was up the entire night before with a fever, and after the tournament, I found out I had a really, really bad case of strep throat, 
even though I didn't want to go wrestle, I still chose to go wrestle because my team needed me because it was a dual tournament. If I didn't show up, they would take a loss every single team that they faced in the heavyweight class. Does that make sense? And so I knew I needed to go. And it actually didn't turn out too terribly for me up until the very last match of the day. I had actually done pretty well. I had won all of my matches up until the very last match. My very last match, we were paired up against Bridgeport. And I'm wrestling this wrestler who is a freshman and is terrible. And I'm doing my normal just messing around, getting some practice in because in the next week was districts. And so I wanted to get as much practice time in as I could. And so I'm wrestling him about the same way as I normally do. But then in the third period, all of a sudden, my body just shuts down. It's like my mind quit working. My body just said, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I'm out. I couldn't, I really couldn't control my body at all. Like, my body straight up had just given up. After a few seconds, this wrestler realizes that I'm just basically laying on him without moving. And within a couple seconds, I find myself with my back to the mat, and he's pinning me. And I'm actually sitting there thinking, I just want to get pinned so I can get out of here. I didn't care. I was, I was almost scared. Like, I just had no control over my body anymore. And so just within a matter of a few seconds, he pins me. And it would be a really cool story if I told you that, that Bridgeport went on to win, and it was this dramatic thing, but they still lost because it's Bridgeport. Just kidding, if you're from Bridgeport, but really though. But this story it tells me of, or reminds me of two things. Every time I think about it, it reminds me of two things. Number one is, I don't care how amazing you are, or how much better of an athlete you are, or how much smarter you are, you're only one bad day away from getting humbled severely. The second thing is, it always teaches me, that no matter how far behind you are in life, no matter how much you're struggling, no matter how much you have to overcome, you're only one act of God away from overcoming and triumphing. You can look at both sides of the story. You can look at my side of it, and you can draw to the conclusion that pride and humility comes before the fall. And you can look at the other side as, I don't care where you're at in life, don't give up. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31 says this. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of this world, and the things which are despised God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. That, as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. So perhaps tonight, the reason and why in which you haven't aligned your life to God's will in your life 
could be numerous reasons. It could be anything from right now your pride is in control of your life to you don't think highly enough of yourself. You don't think you're worthy. You don't think you're deserving to serve God and to align yourself with his will. I mean, that's a, that's a far spectrum in which you can line yourself up for why you might not be submitting to God's will in your life. So perhaps tonight, what you're saying is, I just not, I'm not sure if I can line up with God's will for my life. Maybe you're not sure how to ask how to line up with God's will for your life. Perhaps tonight you're not sure if Jesus Christ is even somebody who you've served. Maybe Jesus Christ is just, like I alluded to earlier in the sermon, kind of a get-out-of-jail-free card. You always associated yourself with being a Christian because you went to church. Tonight, I'm wanting to encourage you guys. I don't care where you're at in life. I don't care what your struggles are. I don't care how weak you think you are. God's will for your life is amazing. You can have God's will for your life. And so tonight I'm going to kind of finish like I did last week. And I'm going to tell you about some people in the Bible. Some people in the Bible who are heralded as these perfect people that when we, when we mention their names, we almost put them onto a pedestal so high that we, we think that we're that their status in God is unattainable, is unachievable. I'm going to share with you the people from the Bible, and I'm going to share with you some things that they struggled with. And maybe you can find some identity with that person. Abraham thought he was too old. Isaac was a liar just like his dad. Jacob was a liar and a schemer. Joseph was abused. Moses had a speech impediment. Gideon was afraid. Samson was a womanizer and looked like a hippie. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a bitter widow. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while praying on one of the most important days in all history. Martha was worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul, who I talked about last a couple weeks ago, Paul killed Christians, literally murdered Christians. And he went on to write most of the New Testament. And last, but certainly not least, now I want you to fathom this. No matter what your inhibition, no matter what you think you struggle with, no matter what you think is blocking you from aligning yourself with Christ, I want you to to wrap your head around this last one. Lazarus was literally dead. And God still used him. 
literally dead. And yet, Christ brought him back. And God still used him. So I can come to the conclusion today, and I hope you all are right along with me, that it really doesn't matter what your struggles are. It really doesn't matter what you've thought you need to clean up in your life before you can come to Christ. It doesn't really matter what barriers are in the way that is preventing you from serving God how you really know you want to serve Him. There is no barrier too big to submit yourself to Christ. So tonight I want to encourage you to get to know God. Get to know Jesus. Get to know the Holy Spirit. We're going to spend a little bit of time in prayer. And I want to encourage you tonight to surrender your will to God. I want you to pray the dangerous prayer of, Lord, whatever your will is for my life, I submit to you. I want to align my life with your will. And tonight I want you to obey what you already know to be God's will. And that is what is written in Scripture. Tonight, I want you to seek godly input from people who are here for you, such as the small group leaders, my wife, me, my staff. Seek godly input. Tonight, I want you to actually listen. Take the time to listen to what the Holy Spirit might be saying to you. tonight we're going to have the altars open and I want to encourage you if, if what I've been talking about tonight is speaking to you if you know that you've been living your will and tonight you want to submit to God's will I want you to come up I want to encourage you to come up find one of the small group leaders find one of the staff and let's pray together we thank you that even when we're struggling, even when we're burdened, even when we've been running away from you, even when things in life are just getting hard and we've been ignoring you, Lord, I thank you that you still seek us out, that you still have a heart for us. feel completely unworthy for your calling in our life, even when we feel completely unworthy for what you might have in store for us. You still sent your son to die on the cross. You still redeemed us. And you still call us worthy. That you have made us new. 
Lord, I thank you so much that you still ask us to serve you. And then when we really fathom it, we get to serve the God of the universe, the creator of all things. We get to serve him. So Lord, I thank you that no matter how far away we run, no matter how far off our path is from your will in our life, that you still seek to align us with a better path, with a better life than what we could even fathom for ourselves. See, the thing is, I know your will for my life is better than anything that I could even dream up. I know that your will for my life is better than even the life that I'm living right now. So Lord, help us to align ourselves with your will and to walk in the freedom that comes with salvation in Jesus Christ. That we would no longer put burdens on ourselves, expectations on ourselves. When you've removed them, Lord, help us to not put those expectations and those burdens back on as soon as we leave here. Lord, I pray that you would guide us. And Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit's presence would be loud to us this week. That the Holy Spirit, that you would shout at us what your will is over our lives. That Lord, even when we're not listening to you, even when we're not paying attention, Lord, that you still would make your will known to us. for your glory and in your name and your name alone that we pray. Amen.